It was very important to me that we go below the surface. I have been in church most of my life. If you've ever been to Texas, you know that we are in the Bible belt of the world. There is a church on every corner, and it is cool to be a Christian. We don't struggle with church attendance. We don't struggle with lack of preachers or churches or looking that part. It is very easy. It is very easy. And this is the greatest, greatest struggle of my life. And so for me, what God has done in my life, just over the past couple of years, and I want you to understand that I am just a young woman with so much to live, and I have not arrived on any place All I can do is offer you, much like Job when he says, I cannot undo the things that I have seen. I cannot look away from the things because I don't just hear God anymore, I see God. And I'll be the first to tell you that there are times where I just wish I couldn't see it, where it's too much. And for my little mortal, simple human brain, I just can't even wrap my mind around what he is doing and who he is. And I say to you truly with all humility that I have not arrived, but I cannot, I cannot tell you anything different than what I have seen. I cannot look away from where God has brought my heart and where I am, believing and knowing that there is more for us all. And meeting you in this place where I have to believe that you're not here by accident. I don't believe in accidents. I have to believe that your presence here is divine. And I I really do believe that why you think you are here is not at all why you are here. (laughs) I do. I think that if we try to put a thing on why we come to these kind of things, who in the world wants to go to a women's conference on Friday night? Not this woman. I've been to so many, and I'm a Texas girl. We have every conference, we have every Bible study. Beth Moore's in our backyard. She's right an hour down the road from me. We have done it all. So for me personally, going and signing up for a women's conference is not something I'm jumping on the bandwagon to do. And, and what, I, but what I want to encourage you in is that if you are here, despite you and despite me, he has something more for you, and I do believe that. I love that. <laughs> I love that. And, and I just want you to sit in that place, not in an arrival, but that there is more, and that we can't just come up and say, as we handle the Word of God, if we are to handle it rightly, we cannot just come up and give you, hey, you know what? You're awesome. You're great. God has more for you now. Go live that dream. Y'all, I've had that my whole life, and I'm the greatest sinner that exists. I've been inside the church, born into the church nursery, never remembering in my mind a moment in time where I did not believe Jesus. I cannot remember. I didn't understand. I've doubted. I've been angry. I've been so sinful and rebellious, but I I just say to you in all honesty of my heart, I do not remember a time where I I did not know that Jesus loved me. And and for me, it is not just enough to come and say, hey, go live that dream. Because you don't, I don't, I'm not as concerned about what you do when you wake up in the morning as I am as why you do it. 
I am deeply, and God is deeply, deeply concerned about why you do what you do. Why would you dream in the first place? Why? And for me, and I don't know about you, when I lay my head down on my pillow at night, and it's just me, and it's my thoughts, and my husband is long gone, he's the freight train in the room, And I am laying there to think about all of my my things that if I were to speak and I were to tell you, I would be so fearful of judgment that that you would turn and walk away. They would be too much for you to even look at. And so when I sit with that place and you sit with that place, that's the why. Why do you get up from that place? Why do you take another breath? Why do you go to work? Why are you a loving wife or a loving husband or a respectful child? Why do you love God? Why do you follow God? Why do you call yourself a Christian? Why? And so if you are taking notes, will you write this at the beginning as this will be the kickoff of this weekend? Tonight, we are just going to wrestle with this why we dream. Why do we even begin to get up, why would we, why, why do we have purpose, why? What is the point of it all? And then tomorrow, when we come back together, I'm gonna give you some what and some hows. I'm gonna talk to you about what a dream really looks like in biblical concept, in God's mind, and then how we can miss it. And so tonight, it's why. And I wanna go and I want to tell you about Joseph. How many of you have heard the story of Joseph before that's in Genesis? How many of you have heard the jo- What was he most known for? His, what did he wear? Yeah, his colorful, colorful robe. Um, and so I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. I want to actually back up and give you a little context on Joseph. I'm a big Bible context junkie. Um, I, I, I get really, really frustrated with people that pull out a verse here and there to make it apply to their life. I really want people to understand the thread of the Old Testament and the New Testament and how they work together, and that Jesus is the thread that ties them all through. And so I want you to understand deeply the context of God's Word and that we can't just go and pull what we need when we need it, that it is all relevant to our life, and it is all intended for this, Hebrews 4.12, to cut us to cut us into the core of what we think we know about God, to cut us deeply into the core of what we think we know about somebody else or ourselves, into the places that we think we have arrived, into the places where we think we know, oh, I know what she's doing. I know who she is. I heard about her. Or those lies that we are believing about ourselves that we are not worthy. That, that, that there is no more for us, that I am just, I am not. Just like Jeremiah cut himself so very short when God's call came to us, but I'm just a child, but I'm not. I don't, I, those are the lies that you're believing about yourself. And so God's word is intended to cut into those places, show, them those pla- show us those places, and blow away the fog. But it's, Hebrews 4.12 says that his word is like a double-edged sword that cuts into the bone, into the marrow. And I don't know if any of you have ever endured a surgery or endured a, a, 
a traumatic experience where you've been cut deeply into the bone or into your marrow, I think we can all just agree that this is not a comfortable place. And I think we tend to shy away from the Word of God because it is to change us. And we're scared to change. We don't want to change. We want to stay right where we're at because it's comfortable and it's easy. And all I have to do is show up at church on Sundays, right? And God's Word says, whoa, there is so much more. And I am so much holier. And so context is, is good and to tie them together and to know where you are landing. So for me growing up in the church, my uh, Sunday school teacher would always do the, the felt cut. I'm, that, yeah, I'm a child of the 80s. So new kids on the block, got it. <laughs> got it. Went with it. The felt cutouts, my Sunday school teacher, did y'all ever do that? Where they cut out the, and they put them on the board, and it's, you know, the, yes, yeah, the flannel board, and they would stick them up there, and there was always Joseph, and there was always his coat, and we could go, and we could put the coat on Joseph. We never had the scene where the brothers wanted to kill him and threw him into a pit. Yeah, for some reason, we never had, and then we never had the David and Goliath scene where David jumps off his head. That, the, the teacher didn't quite blend that into the, the little cutouts there. A little rated R Bible there for you. But um, it's, it's, it's God's Word, and it's true, and it's good, so let's look at it. Okay, so I want you to back up. I want you to, to really, if you have your, please have your Bible, and tomorrow, you better bring your Bible. You better show up with God's Word. It is the priority of everything that we are doing, and this has absolutely blown me away, and it has been one of the most incredible celebratory spirits I have ever experienced prior to a teaching. But God's Word is all, and God's Word reigns over all of this. We must not fall in love with the doing of the worship. We must fall in love with who God is. And if we ever get those confused, we're going to miss it. Guys, we're going to miss it. We must absolutely fall in love with a hunger and a thirst for the Word of God. And then all these things are just an outpouring of that place, you see. I want you to see how God gives this dream to Joseph, and then we are going to sit with the why he dreams. We really have to back up to Genesis 12:1, and we're going to start uh, with God giving a promise to Abram, and it sounds like this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So here's God giving Abram the promise that through him, he will bring the beginning of his people, the Israelite nation, and that through the Israelites that we would receive who? Jesus. All the way back in Genesis 12. Did you know that it was there? And then we jump into a formal covenant that God gives Abram, in Genesis 15, 13, then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. I don't know about you, but if I were Abram, I'd, man, God, that really burst my bubble. That first promise was really good. I'm going to be a blessing. People are going to be blessed. And then what? 
And so we see God giving a, almost a verbal promise here and then making a formal covenant with Abram. And I love that God in his grace and mercy did not have to, but he gives the really good part first, right? You want the good or you want the bad? I want the good. Okay, so he gives the good first, and then he gives the truth to Abram, which is all of this, this nation and these people that I will bless you with, they will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Let's skip ahead. I want you to keep that in mind. If you are writing in your Bible, please feel free to write in your Bible. It'll set you free. Take notes. You need to really pay attention here to this land. This land would be Egypt that God is referring to here. So Abram had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, and then Jacob catches us up to who? Joseph. He's the father of Joseph. Twelve sons, Joseph was one of them. And at 17 years old, what does Joseph have? What does Joseph have? At 17 years old, God gives him a dream. He gives him a dream. And Joseph, being an overzealous 17-year-old, says this in Genesis 37, 5. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. It's not good. Not starting out good. They already hated it. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf rose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to mine. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? Basically saying, you be crazy. So they hated him even more. This is not looking good for Joseph, for his dreams and for his words. And then he dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, you would think he would learn to just keep his mouth shut. Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him, and he said, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you, and his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept to the saying in mind. Okay, so just put yourself in the shoes. I'm really sorry to say I would have been the brother that just wanted to slap him upside of his face. Here we've got there's not a good relationship going on already because the father's doting on Joseph. He's given him this coat, didn't give the other brothers the coat. So there's already jealousy and animosity, and then he has this dream that they're all bowing down to him. And, and so, and then it starts out with just grain, that, that, that's not so bad, but now the sun and the moon and the stars, are you kidding me? Are you God? Even the, even the father, even Jacob's like, hey, son, it's a little strong there, coming on a little strong, let's back off, rebukes him a little bit as a good father does, but, and, and then a good father keeps it in mind. He remembers these things. I imagine that Jacob was like, hmm, maybe. I wonder what that looks like. And so if you continue to read throughout Genesis, and I'm going to just fast forward for us for time's sake, but the brothers, they're out in the field. Here comes Joseph. What do they do? 
well, let's make a plot against him. Let's just kill him. So there's not really any middle ground for these guys. It's just going to kill him. Reuben, big brother, he's, he comes to the aid, tries to do his best. He says, no, let's not kill him, guys. Let's not be crazy. Let's just throw him in a pit and leave him to die. So let's make him suffer. I mean, it's, and so here comes Joseph. They throw him in a pit, and then, and then they do this. They, they have a meal. I can just picture Joseph in the bottom of the pit, and all of his brothers are up at the top of the pit eating a sandwich, and he's like, hey, guys, okay, that's enough. That's been funny. Funny joke. Get me out of this pit, you know. And so they're talking, and, and they're really, I mean, they're just going to go, they're going to leave him there so that they don't have to necessarily have the blood on their hands. They're going to take his coat, bathe it in animal blood, and tell dad that he's gone. A wild animal killed him. But while they're eating their sandwich, this group, this caravan of Ishmaelites come through, headed to where? Egypt. And so they make a, they, they make a trade. They sell Joseph into slavery, and Joseph winds up in Egypt. Did you remember the land in Genesis 13 of where your people would go, and they would be enslaved? And they would be afflicted. So Joseph goes to, uh, to Egypt. He submits and he serves in the kingdom faithfully. Potiphar, the, 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 the captain of the guard, finds favor on him. And so Joseph rises in power. But Potiphar's wife, she has some daddy issues and she's insecure. And so she comes after Joseph and she tries to seduce him. He runs, which is the greatest thing a guy can do when a girl even begins to do that. It's not even to think about, wait, what's she doing? Nope, you just start running. You just flee. And that's what Joseph does. But he leaves behind his coat. And so she takes it to Potiphar, and then uh, Potiphar believes his wife, and then Joseph's thrown in prison. Joseph again submits, he surrenders, he humbles himself to the prison guard. He begins to find favor to the prison guard. He begins to then interpret dreams and interpret them correctly. And he lands himself a place as number two over the land of Egypt. Genesis 41, 40. This is what the king of Egypt says to him, you shall be over my house, the Pharaoh. All my people shall order themselves as you command only as regards to the throne. Will I be greater than you? So here we see Joseph. How many years later? 22 years later. From a 17-year-old boy who dreamed this dream, was left for dead, sold into slavery, was betrayed about and lied about, into prison and rose up in favor again, and we see this beautiful picture begin to happen.